Hi, this is Ben Smith. I'm a photographer, and this is my podcast, A Small Voice Conversations with Photographers. Thanks for listening. Hey folks, welcome to episode 13 of A Small Voice. Um, it's not unlucky, come on, don't be silly. Maya Daniels this week. Maya grew up in Sweden where she developed an early interest in journalism and then photography. And in her late teens, she upsticks and moved to Paris, ostensibly to learn French, but where she also continued her photographic studies at the Paris Photographic Institute before then taking a degree in sociology. And around the same time, she began assisting the fashion and portrait photographer Peter Lindbergh, who she continued to work with and learn from for several years. Her work has been included in the Taylor Wessing Portrait Prize uh, and exhibited at the National Portrait Gallery in London. Uh, she participated in the 2012 Dupe Swart Masterclass, organised by World Press Photo, and she won second prize in the 2012 Sony World Photography Awards. She was also selected as one of the 2012 and 2011 Magenta Foundation's Flash Forward Emerging Photographers and shortlisted for the 2010 Photovisura Grant for an outstanding personal photography project. Uh, her work has been exhibited internationally. She talks in the interview about her three main personal projects. The first was Into Oblivion, in which for three years she investigated the politics of ageing in the Western world with a focus on care policies for people with Alzheimer's disease, photographing on a ward for Alzheimer's patients in a Paris hospital. Her second project, for which she has won numerous prizes and which has been widely published, was Manette and Maddie. Or is it Maddie and Manette? I don't know. I don't think it really matters. Uh, her ongoing study of inseparable... Uh, uh, inseparable... Oh man, that's not an easy thing to say. Identical Parisian twins who she's been documenting and collaborating with for the past five years. And finally, she talks a little about her most personal project to date, uh, which she's currently working on, River Valley Vernacular, a working title that, which has taken her back to her native Sweden to document life in a small community, the River Valley of the title, where her grandparents come from and where the population speak and are attempting to keep alive the ancient language of Elf Dalian, which has strong links to Old Norse, the language once spoken by the Vikings. Uh, it was really interesting to talk to Maya. Uh, here's the interview. I hope you enjoy it. And um, we, I think she began by um, talking about our plans to, to go to Paris and um, visit uh, Maddie and Modette in the um, aftermath of the Parisian um, terrorist attacks. These twins that I'm working with. Yeah, Monette and Manette Maddie. And Maddie um, who we're going to talk about, trust me. Right, yeah. So I'm going to check up on them because they're a bit traumatised by what's happened so oh, it's a course. good thing that I got a job yeah so I can go there it's nice when you can kind of fund a trip that you need to make anyway with a job Definitely. And it all works I was nice. actually figuring trying to figure out how the hell I was going to manage to get to Paris before Christmas right because uh, I just got back from Sweden mm. and uh, and then I got the phone call and it was just like oh can you go to Paris and do a job and I was just like didn't ask any questions just yeah yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> fine <laughs> it's, it's, I need to go there anyway I mean I don't know I just feel like I need to go for many reasons as well I, I I used to live in Paris I lived there for six years or something so yeah with everything that's happened there now I feel compelled to mm. and do you still have friends living there yeah uh, and so have you been in touch since the yeah, yeah. Uh, bombings yeah uh, and I mean attacks? friends of friends of friends are gone really and yeah and the twin, the Maddie and Manette, 
on their street there was in a in a restaurant there was a shooting 19 people died so it's very close and i used to live on the parallel street to them so it's just wow. quite close it seems that you do get that sense that i, I mean I, I don't know paris terribly well but i've been there a bunch of times and it is it is quite small so you do get that sense yeah. that everyone knows everywhere mm. that where this stuff happened mm. everyone's been to those cafes it's true yeah yeah oh, you yeah. have kind of you know, I've been to the Bataclumps for concerts, and mm. you know, you know, you know the places, so it gets a little bit more real. Mm. And so, so, um, what did Monet and Maddie say about, um, you know, how how they're feeling about it? And we're we're going to talk about the project, and up mm. just to introduce it, um, you know, this is your your project about um, two two twins. No, that's tautological. They're, yeah, it's it's odd as opposed how to you three de- twins. How do you how do you describe <laughs> your project about one twins? pair? <laughs> Um, yeah, what, what, have they, what have they said to you? Um, I think they're just quite shocked. Mm. They just said they hadn't slept that night. Right. Because they were in the midst of it, so there were a lot of sirens and, you know, mm. I think helicopters and just, you know, military on the streets and mm. commotion, loads of commotion. So I think they got quite rattled. Yeah, and, I mean, understandably. Absolutely. Um, so, um, but I mean, they're fine. So mm. that's the main thing. So I guess, you know, what, how did you end up in Paris? You, you grew up in Sweden. Mm. Uh, what took you there? Well, it's a good question. I haven't quite figured that one out. I think uh, I wanted to go to Paris, um, essentially to learn French. Mm. But I studied French. I'm very interested in languages. And... While studying, I I went to kind of, in Sweden there's a secondary school, but you get quite a big specialization quite early. So I was doing journalism. Oh, right. At school. At school. And was quite, got quite hooked on, on in the dark room with photography. And just decided I was going to go to Paris to study photography and learn French. I was at 19. Right. left so and then I didn't come back and, and you, you stayed know. yeah I stayed <clears throat> you know 11 years later um, so you were pretty sure about the photography quite early on then or at yeah, least you knew you wanted to you knew yeah. you wanted to explore yeah. it yeah yeah I didn't quite know I just knew I wanted to go to Paris for no real apparent reason well, it's, just, it's not a bad place to choose if you're going to go yeah. somewhere. And, you know, it's I think nice when to... I was very young, I told my mum, you know, you better enjoy it because I'm not going to stick around. You had Which to is sort a of... ho- horrible thing to say to your mum. But, yeah, I think I had that notion very early. But it's not very, I think it's... She might have liked the fact that you had that, that independent spirit and that, Let's you know... Let's hope so. Yeah. But I think it's not very unique in Sweden, I think most people of my generation have been told, you know, go out into the world yeah. and uh, learn languages and connect with the rest of the world. Because Sweden at the time, especially like in the 80s and the 90s, was a very safe place and secure place. Mm. So, you know, go out and connect with the rest of the world because it felt like you almost lived in a too safe a bubble in a weird way. Right. Um, so I think a lot of the people of my generation have been doing that. Yeah, there's a lot of Swedes in London. There are. Seems to be. Yes. So uh, at some point you, you started assisting Peter Lindbergh. 
mm. who's a pretty famous photographer. Mm. Um, I guess he, uh, you'd, I guess you'd call him a fashion photographer primarily. How, yeah. how did that come about? Well, I got, uh, I, I, I did eventually. I, I studied French, and then I went to study photography in a school. But it wasn't. I mean, the only reason I studied in that school was because my teacher in the dark room back in Sweden had knew one person who'd gone to that school so I didn't do any research or anything I just decided well that's the school I'm going to go to and uh, it was just a, a year very intensive uh, photography course and um, they had good connections with the professional world in a, in a sense and had a, a few number of internships mm. that they were kind of awarding students or giving to students at the end of the year and now I got to do an internship with Peter and right. not for any other reason than being very hard working you know but how so but you know does that mean you got lucky that you got the big famous photographer and everyone else just got kind of you know Joe Schmo photographer because it seems to me that that's that's pretty you know was think, that yeah, just think, was that just an I just think that I I was a very I was very dedicated to studying when I was in that school so I did double curriculum I did photojournalism and I did kind of studio lighting fashion mm -hmm. and <clears throat> I lived right next door to the school just by chance so I was there literally all the time right so I just looked like the perfect intern right in terms of being thorough mm. you know Swedish as well which obviously has a lot of in France, it has a lot of kind of connotation of being thorough and yeah, you know, so orderly. You just, yeah, so, you fit. But did he? Did mm -hmm. he? Was you know? Did he sort of? Is it like? Was it like he didn't have a say in the in the decision as to who was going to be his assistant? No, I got an. In, I did go for an interview, yeah. and they just said, "Yeah, fine." But I must say that internship was was a paid internship, which mm. was good. But for three months, I changed negative sleeves. <laughs> Yeah, from plastic sleeves to pH neutral paper sleeves. Right, and so in a way, you had to be orderly and thorough mm. to be able to do that. But I guess they also needed someone who kind of had a sense of responsibility and who wouldn't just mess it up. Yeah, because it's a really boring job, but it's also a very important thing. Sure. You know, you deal with someone's negatives. Well, it's like you have to pay your dues on these things sometimes, mm. and then they, then they'll actually trust you to do something slightly more interesting. So that's what happened. Yeah. Right. So after that, I got asked if I wanted to stay and do other things. Cool. And also, the, I guess you know the fact that you you know t internships now are not even thought of as a thing that get, you get paid for. So in that respect. Yeah, but I guess they just knew it was such a boring thing. They had to give they you something. They had to give you something. Otherwise, yeah. you know, why would I even, you know, it's a bit of a risk take from their behalf, I would say. Yeah, yeah, no. So, yeah. Absolutely. And and so, uh, but were you, did you have a sort of awareness of the fact that, that you were quite privileged to be um, starting out with someone like him? Or, were you, you know, in that youthful way, did you just sort of take it all pretty much for granted? Um, I think... In that youthful way, I just took it yeah. quite for granted. Yeah. I don't think I've actually... I think lately, kind of, I've realised that it was a great school and a great opportunity. Mm. And I got to do a lot of different things. I learned a lot. And I worked with him for many years after that. So, kind of, it grew into a very important thing for me and mm. that has shaped me. But then, you know, I wasn't necessarily... But maybe that was a good thing because I wasn't intimidated by the 
the task. I was just treating it as, you know. Good point. Yeah, you weren't do. in awe of it or anything. No, no, no. And I think a lot of the time, when big photographers like that try to find uh, people to work with, one of the things is that you know they don't want someone who will just copy you or just become the kind of cut cut you know undercut person that will do the same work as you so also I had very different interests and I was very clear with that and I a few years in when I'd been working there I started studying sociology and Peter knew that wasn't going to be the next fashion photographer so I think they liked that they liked the idea that I had my separate interests right so yeah I mean clearly you weren't that interested in fashion per se at that stage Mm. But what did you learn? You said you learned a lot. What can you kind of, can you sort of expand on that in some way? Well, I think the main thing that I realised that I learned is that he was just this notion of mixing genres. Mm. You know, Peter would take models and do street photography quite early on at the time when people were quite stuck in studios. He'd be, you know, keen to try and mix those genres, you know, this kind of notion of street photography and he had other kind of things that he was doing at the time so I saw a person who was doing jobs he was doing his personal work but he was also kind of just playing around with it mixing genres and I think that that's something that's marked me I mean also he 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 was he is a great portrait photographer as well and I think his portraits marked me as well mm. and and then you you sort of you did quite a bit of traveling around that time I think mm. sort of 2007 did you was that sort of to get a kind of folio organised or to do more photography or was that just a, a general interest in, in you know, sort of wanderlust? Yeah, I, was, I, I wanted to get out and, and photograph and be, you know, travel the world, I guess. And um, just so happened that <clears throat> I had a friend who just moved to Brazil hmm. um, and another friend who was going to India. So I just kind of went all over the place with yeah I guess with the idea of uh, or just maybe it was quite playful at the time it wasn't very you know ambitious in that sense you know I'm going to come back with something but obviously I did Mm. and uh, it was great because I got a lot of support from Peter and his studio and they kind of took me back afterwards and right they gave me loads of film for the trip and you know it was just kind of they were just you Mm. know cradling nurturing me. Yeah, yeah yeah that's nice um, yeah. Um, but and as you say you also you're trying you're doing a degree at the same time so you got into this um into sociology so it was almost like you had a bunch of different things going on at, at once yeah um and you talk about the fact that sociology informs your mm. practice so maybe you want to explain that a little mm. well i guess i think of when i think of sociology i mean i i just think of it more like the the way you work the tools that you get in terms of you know, spending time um, doing some sort of participant observation or not just photographing but writing and just just think of, thinking of it as a tool where you have to be quite thorough. Yeah. But I'm not interested in sociology as a science. I'm not interested in, you know, trying to put down a label or find figures or decide that this is what is going on this is what it's like or this is it but sociology is so flexible and more creative these days um 
So, so yeah. let's talk about um, Into Oblivion, this project that you you started doing um, around that time. I think so. Mm. You know, in, in in relation to that, I suppose we could we could explore that a little more. Mm. Um, tell tell me about that that project. Well, how that began that project. Um, I well, it, it did begin. It was a very slow process, but through the same f- school, we kind of started a. Um, collective as you do when you live in France you know everyone you know you finish school and you get into a collective we didn't have quite a clue what we were going to be doing and it just happened that there was a very kind of um, brilliant director of this hospital that I ended up working in that contacted the school and the school was aware she contacted the school just kind of to see if there were anyone there who might be interested to come and do something in the hospital which is I mean, if you think about it, it's just remarkable because mm. it's such a closed-off world. It, yeah, they're, normal, in, they're normally kind of fending off exactly. approaches rather than actually inviting people oh, yes. in. So uh, normally in, the opposite. Especially in France, yeah. it's very, very difficult to get that kind of access into an institution. So we were all really aware of this and we just thought, brilliant, wow, let's go and do something. Um, I just happened to be travelling somewhere at the time when all of this kind of initial contact happened. But that wasn't an issue because it took a year even to kind of go get around to going there. Mm. And I guess we were five people in the beginning and we just ended up being, it just ended up being me in the end. People just falling off because it took a long time to get anything going. Mm. I was just, it just really uh, marked me the first time because we went there to kind of visit and just meet and see what, what could be done. And um, obviously it was a very naive thing from both parts, both the director and from yeah. me. And but you were the one who's just kind of, you were the last man standing as it were. How come, yeah. how come was you, are you just persistent or are you more patient or what? You know, I think we were two who got engaged in the project and who started and the other person just had to stop it for personal reasons. It mm. wasn't, it wasn't working out. Yeah, but there were five or six people originally. Yeah, well, they yeah. kind of fell off quite... Fell, fell by the you know, wayside. Even before the meet going there and meeting. Right. So it was just... Okay. It was a very feeble attempt right. okay. as a collective, as it turned out. You know? Yeah. But... Um, so the project is um, about um, about Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. or is it basically a, a sort of um, an exploration of a ward uh, where, where there are those patients um, were... And it's a kind of broader examination of dementia generally. Um, I guess it, yeah, for me what it really is, is just thinking of how we care for elderly. You know, the role of the institution as well. Hmm. This notion of, you know, where, what happens to a person at a certain time in their lives and how do we see it or not see it. I mean, most of the time we're just so protected from seeing these, you know, yeah. how medical policies or whatever are actually, you know, happening or used in, in reality. So for me, I mean, that, that, that was what, what really got me. That was what really hooked me that first time when we went there. It was <clears throat> getting a tour of the hospital and being i mean if you know the series there are these pictures of a, a door that kind of reoccurs yeah i was going to so, ask you about the door so it was basically being on that other side of the door 
seeing someone standing trying to get my attention mm. not having any clue what was going on one you know asking the staff or the, the i think it was a director who took us around what's going on over there i think someone needs to i think we need to open that door someone's trying to get out and they were like well no actually that they're not allowed out they're not allowed out they're and, sort of prisoners yeah. really so for me it took a while for me to realize it but that was a very it just symbolized a lot of things mm. all in one yeah the do- the door is this kind of re- um, recurring symbol and, and and yeah kind of underpins the whole the whole project and basically that these patients you know, weren't allowed out of the war because um clearly they you know worried about them mm. wandering off into the distance and getting yeah. lost or whatever so there's a certain logic to it but at the same time it's kind of heartbreaking yeah. and and there's I mean, lots of images of of the of them standing at this door looking through the little porthole windows um and um possibly wondering why the hell they can't get through it or god knows what they're wondering they're cl- clearly not you know mm. mentally you know got the capacity to to understand yeah. you know everything um it's called the principal precaution which is quite an interesting term in itself you know they've what they've done is they've locked off this corridor and then they've given these residents as they call them the the kind of freedom to to move around a bit more freely within the ward but the problem is you know once you get an end point that's where the attention will Mm. eventually end up and i mean this is not a specialized ward this is one of these wards that have been introduced you know without any extra money or without any extra staff just because of an increasing demand just because of the population is changing Mm. and so it happens all throughout Europe. You know, it's not something that's specific to this hospital. It's not something that's specific to France. And, you know, it just, it just, it just occurred, you know, it just seemed to me like we, you know, something like a term such as principal precaution, we, you know, we might probably, we would just accept it if someone des- described it and explained it and think, well, it's reasonable. And, you know, these people need to be safe. And I guess it's the way to do it, but we never really get beyond this notion of a term terminology Mm. and then we don't have an image of it we don't have a vision of what it might actually represent so i think i kind of took that on and thought right this is quite something Mm. and 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 when did the the door become i guess uh, what's interesting is that um yeah when did you realize that that was a great symbol for the for the whole story was it very early on or was it in the edit or way towards the end towards the end that's interesting yeah Yeah. although you obviously you'd return to that yeah you've got plenty of images of that yeah but yeah it wasn't until until quite i think for a long time i was trying to get the ultimate picture of the door right so you're working it kind of you know i was yeah i was you know i think at some point quite towards the end of the project i was discussing it it with with said and and you know i was i had been just stood there you know at the, in the beginning i never used a tripod but then i kind of decided to, to use one just to kind of guard the door but that wouldn't work because they would just knock it down constantly because there's this there's this traffic there's traffic going on and I, I was trying to figure out how to do it and then towards the end i got quite focused on this door but it wouldn't have maybe appeared to me you know 
from the beginning. Don't worry about that noise. It's just a bloody cat flap. <laughs> um, so what thinking, are you going to do? Shall I continue? Or no. Should I just stop? Yeah, please continue. <laughs> Sorry, it was interesting what you were saying as well. Mm. Yeah. So you were sort of um, yeah you were kind of, you continue you were working that situation because you were mm. trying to get like you say the ultimate image. Mm. But you, actually, what you're doing yeah. were you collecting a whole series yeah. of images which, which which in the end turns out to be more interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes you don't know what you're doing. Basically, a lot of the times I don't know what I'm doing, but. You, you with time as well mm. and going back to a place you know yeah. because what I would do then I would be there for a week maximum and then I would go off go back to Paris and work with Peter and you know do my thing study uh, so I was doing that kind of in a cycle of two or three years mm. and it would stay kind of <clears throat> yeah go there every other month or something so with the time in between yeah. you really get a chance to digest what you're doing and that's important to me no absolutely is it and it's, it's an interesting kind of uh, you know object lesson in in, in repetition and and, mm. and also the importance of you know how things emerge after the event kind of thing in mm. the edit and that kind of stuff and i was going to ask you about um how, how did you deal with knowing that that you know there was no chance of consent in a way from these these people how did you um how did you manage to kind mm. of justify that to yourself mm. well that was a big part of the work mm. um working with the hospital working with the families uh because it's france as well you needed to be it was administratively quite heavy you know a lot of different types of authorizations per per person that i photographed you know there was no uh, there was no um some people i I wouldn't photograph in the war because the families wouldn't didn't want me to, which was you know absolutely fine. But a lot of the time spent in the hospital was just talking to people and meeting people, not necessarily photographing. And that took, I mean, it took even after finishing the work, it took a year just to kind of because I wanted for the the people not just to sign a consent for anything. They needed to see the actual pictures that were going to get come out, which in a way is uh, is quite uh, specific. I'm, I mean, I guess sometimes you just ask people for permission and then you use whatever picture. Um, but in this instance, it was really important that they knew what was going to happen. Yeah, it makes more sense, you know, they yeah. see the actual image that you're wanting to use and then yeah. give consent for, for use of that particular picture. But yeah, you basically had to go to the family rather than directly yeah. to the... To but I mean, in terms of the actual people... In the actual people I photographed, what happened was that I just ended up being any other kind of volunteer who would be in this place with these people. Because the reality of the place, which is also why I've photographed it the way I've photographed it, there are no, for a lot of the time of the day, there are no staff. You know, they're understaffed. There's no particular person in this ward. Or they used to be, but she got burned out and mm. she was on sick leave and, you know, she couldn't do it. So... Uh, just the nature of the place provided a lot of empty kind of time when not much happened with me and the residents. So what happened was that I just became an animation in a sense. And, you know, the camera was something that they were very intrigued by. And they, you know, they I used an old camera, so they kind of had references to it. Some recognized it, some took pictures even. You know, it was just, um, I think that was the way how I morally or ethically really you know justified my presence sure. you know i couldn't just be there sneaking around sure and, and you know, did, did did the project um 
uh, was it a depressing thing? Because it's a you know Alzheimer's is is a, I mean the, the well the title of the project is Into Oblivion, so I mean that's that's yeah. in itself says quite a lot. It's it's, it's pretty bleak. Um, yeah, what have, what impact did it have on you, or did did it change any preconceived ideas you had about you know what it would be like? Yeah, to I think it was quite a difficult project, and it, it was very hard topic to take on as kind of your first project but I think everything's the way I work is quite organic and so the the project that followed ended up being way more upbeat and positive because I think I realized at the time that this is something I we need to talk about this is something you know it's not the geriatric sector in society is not the sexiest no absolutely you know it doesn't get that attention but it's the one thing absolutely every single one of us well you know those of us who are lucky enough to make it to that stage in life have to have to deal with somehow did did you I mean as a young person presumably you hadn't really given that much thought no but I think I've always had um I've always I mean it's true I didn't have a personal connection to Alzheimer's disease I don't I didn't have a family member normally that's often you know perhaps how people get into these um, questions but I think I was just really I'm just I was just at the time interested in you know this role of the institution and how we relate to it the fact that I had never been to a geriatric hospital before this experience mm. and just being really open to that experience and looking at it from 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 a quite a you know harsh point of view but also i think at the time for me what was what was really important was this notion of creating some sort of just putting the pictures out there because i had been given this remarkable opportunity and um I obviously was very keen to 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 do something with it but I was also aware of this idea that the way a certain you know when you reach a certain age the way you are depicted in the media is often either there's a problem it's mm. depressing or it's just kind of not really there yeah and I think it's something it's a subject that people uh, avoid because it's a very um it's kind of a scary thing to mm. to contemplate and, some and even some people who are met showing the work in the beginning they just said you know why have you done this you know this is not the way to really begin a career or you know like this is so depressing and you know why <laughs> well they know. thought you should do something a bit more a bit more cheerful that seems like yeah. a weird approach to take to, or, you know, to a people, documentary people, photographer. everybody you know everybody photographs elderly people in the beginning of their career it's easy or something but in, right. in my in, in this experience it was it was more than that it was just it was actually not very easy it was very complicated Mm. in Mm. a sense but I guess it did it did it did kind of make me want to do something more it didn't make me feel okay this is one specific situation that I'm interested to to share because I've been given this opportunity to to really look at it you know for a long time and be part of it for a long time which is rare so that was really something that you know inspired me to keep going there's also this notion of this specific access that had mm. been given to me it felt it felt like a privilege mm. it felt like something that i needed to really take good care of because mm. it was it was special yeah and it's something that's marked the way i work ever since um, right and and i mean but you did you did do it with a lot of sensitivity i think and and i presume you got some some positive feedback as well oh yeah <laughs> yes yes i did i mean eventually <laughs> when the project yeah. was finished but it's funny how you 
I did I did question this idea of you know am I just feeding into this negative stereotype of growing old and am I just you know making it even harder but in a way for me it was a specific situation it was talking about how society and institutions have, have given this role of being the caretakers but we don't really know how it's done or the way it affects people mm. so for me it was really important it felt really important now that I'd seen it to really kind of give this I wanted to give this vision or this idea of what it might be to be in one of these places yeah so that's why you don't have any carers or you know it's very specific it's trying to kind of almost embody this sense that a having being in this position where you might be losing your memory in this because with alzheimer's you kind of have this moments of lucidity where you actually realize that it's happening which is God, yeah which is probably the most difficult thing but also then being in this place which you know it was a very bright and 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 light place but that almost become comes to symbolize this fading you know the fading away so yeah mm. Okay, so, um, and then you, you were saying really that there's a sort of through line in Monet and Maddie that's talk mm. about that. This is your kind of, I think of it as your kind of signature project, really. You know, it's almost like your, uh, you know, it's like the, um, the actor who, it's like um, Carrie Fisher or something, you know, she's mm. had a long career, she's done a lot of things, but she'll always be Princess Leia. And you will always be the, the one who did, <laughs> the, 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 the photographer did Monet and Maddie. Do you, right. do you, do you, do you recognise that in some respect? Well, I think it was the project that gave me a lot of visibility. Yeah, you've won a lot of stuff. And it gave me visibility very early in a way, and the project isn't even finished. Right. Which is slightly odd, but I've embraced that, and I think that, I'm not in any rush to finish the project. I'm fine with it changing mm. as it goes. What do you think is really, you know, what do you think about, what is it about that project that ha um, fascinates people? I think it works on several levels. I mean, for me, the reason why I wanted to start working with them was just this really the way that they just stand out and the way that they don't fit into these stereotypes of, you know, how you're supposed to behave at a certain age. Also, obviously, it's this idea that is disturbing to us singular people, as they would describe us. Um, this idea that one identity can be shared right. across two bodies. You know, this expansion of one identity, which is what they're playing with. Obviously, there, is, there are two individuals but they've obviously embraced this idea that they're playing with this, the fact that they dress identically, the fact that they have very kind of synchronized physical, a synchronized physical presence in mm. a way, the way they act, the way they talk, everything, the way they walk, and which has come, you know, they've turned their existence into a kind of performance. Yeah. And I am as everyone is, I guess, I was very intrigued. And I saw them on the street and I just thought, you know, you blink and you think, bloody hell, is that, wow. And I, I would see them on the street as I was working in the hospital, working on the Alzheimer work. And it just, they kind of stood out for me in, in, in many ways, but all one of the ways was just, they are of a certain age mm. and they do not comply with this notion that once you reach a certain age, 
you kind of just fade away or you don't take that space in the public realm you 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 know you don't necessarily you know if you if you retire you're not part of the kind of economical system so you shouldn't take too much space mm. there's all of these thoughts yeah, they just that, they were just they were just loving that, it they were just yeah. loving the, the play well, the space they got well there, it's often said that um, women in particular you know sort of uh, you know um experience this this thing when they reach middle age of of um becoming invisible you mm. know and and clearly they're not they're the opposite of that yeah um and and the age thing is the through the thread that kind of continued from the other projects so you know yeah. that's that's the thing that sort of takes you into it but yeah. is that was that very calculated and deliberate or was that yeah, yeah, more yeah. or less it was just like look at them they're not they're just doing their thing mm. they're just such a positive they have a positive impact on their surroundings mm. that is great and you know it, maybe i also wanted to having kind of shared in the media a problematic picture of a, an aspect of growing old an aspect of our society, the way it looks. I wanted to also kind of give an antidote to that. And I was keen to talk about aging in a positive sense. Right. And they just provide, they just presented themselves to me in a way for years. And I, I would see them and I would, you know, keep kind of grinding my teeth thinking, mm. you know, well, what should I do? How <laughs> shall I do this? And so I mean, you've said that they were, uh, you, you you did approach them. I don't, I don't know if we've even really given this enough context. I did. We did start out talking about it, but basically, yeah, they they um, they're interesting. Since they dress identically, there are. Um, I'd say what I mean. Talking of age, I'd say what they may be in their early sixties, but I, I wouldn't like to make well, too much. They, of it. No, I wouldn't be able to tell you. No, exactly. It's just trade they, secrets. You know, they don't necessarily share that but piece of information there are they are really you know there is something it never gets old seeing twins mm. dressed identically mm. uh, you know maybe that's why it's had a lot of exposure you know if you mm. see a magazine spread with a picture of them it's just gonna yeah. get your attention in a sense that is it's easy you know in a sense it's well that's what i was going to ask you about you know you had the challenge of then you yeah. know um in a sense once you've seen a picture of them together we've seen one you've seen them all to some mm. extent yeah. although they are all very different so you had mm. the challenge of then making it mm. n- more than that did you did yeah. you think about that how did you approach it I think it was just very playful in mm. the beginning I was just you know in the sense now I've I'm not seeing it like that anymore and the project has evolved a lot since but when I began it was just very playful this notion of 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 capturing them you know the way they obviously staging them to some extent but also kind of including their just everyday life but as much as it was easy, this kind of, you know, that tick that gets someone interested, it was a very complicated process. And so that's also why I had to give the images out so mm. soon because there was this, there's this relationship that's formed between us. And Madi and Monette are, I mean, they have character. Mm. And um, to kind of even get them to understand what it was that I wanted to say, this idea of them symbolizing something and, you know, like talking about them, using them to talk about something beyond just that specific easiness or that 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 visual titillation. I had to work quite hard. Yeah. And it took a year, I think, from 
the first time we took a picture to the next time we took a picture. Right. And so, well, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I thought there was this kind of weird contradiction in a way because you said that they didn't quite get why, didn't understand why mm. you wanted to to, to 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 photograph them, and yet they're clearly um, performers and their experience in that respect. They've been photographed. Mm. So I thought, how how come that? How can both of those things be? You know, it's almost like I would expect them to be approached more or less on a weekly basis. Yeah, but they for, are. They are. But they're used to playing roles. So the, you know, the, the thing that it was was that was your documentary approach in a way that yes, they couldn't quite get their head around, exactly. not just being photographed. Exactly, they're they, fine being photographed, but they want to be told what to do. Right, they've done some advertising and modelling. Yeah, and they've uh, you know they've they've been in they've had short small fil- roles in films and right. advertising. So it was fashion. the fact that it was a long term thing, and it was the fact that you were trying to it was the mundane. And I was of, trying to get to the core of their relationship as well, and that's something that I think stressed them out because they're private people. In a way, they're ve- they're you know they're very eccentric and exhibitionist in their way of approaching strangers, but they're also very private in terms of you know just being with it amongst themselves and being quite you know intimate. So over the years, we've gone to we've come to learn to you know we've become friends and we've gotten to know each other, and there through that we've I've managed to access new bits. You know, and mm. and and just, I've 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 been really keen to make sure that their idea of themselves is represented in the project. You know, it's not this notion of documentary as a kind of, you know, getting that shot where mm. they're looking a bit dishevelled or you know not quite aware of being photographed they're very aware of the photographs being taken and, and is that how you came to the decision of of, of shooting some more um kind of set up um stuff as well is that how did that that decision come about that you know you're going to do some stuff that was a bit more mm. whatever the word is um constructed stage or, yeah sort well of i guess stuff. it's <clears throat> it's just the nature of it, just, it was just natural it's just the nature of what they are and what they do they so fitted state, them. They are performers in mm. a way. They perform and they've put this performance, they brought it into their everyday lives. So for me to try and just ignore that wouldn't be, wouldn't in any way be just or fair. Right. Um, so it just felt like it had to be part of it, what we were doing. Mm. And uh, yeah. Did you explore, just out of curiosity, you know, other projects that people have done in the past on Twins? Because, you know, I, I, I read a comment that, you know, it was basically implying that it was a bit of a photographic cliche on a par with doing sunsets or something. But I don't think I don't think that many people have <laughs> have done done a, a twins project. I don't. I can't I don't think know. of a lot of kind of famous uh, examples of people having uh, shot twins. Can you? Yeah. Well, I, I I remember looking at there is this beautiful project made by uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but Alessandra Sanguinetti. Yeah, I know what you mean. But uh, I she's it she's made a project of two friends, child children, but they look very different. And one is quite big and 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 kind of chubby, big child, much taller than the other one. And the other one is tiny, but they do things together all the time, and they kind of have that really close friendship or relationship that she's kind of tapped into. So I remember looking at that, but it doesn't have anything to do with twins no. in a way, but. Um, well, it's I just, think it for is me, a, if someone told... I mean, this idea that I photograph twins, I don't think... In a way, for me, it was... You know, of course, it's that initial um, thing that draws you in. But for me, it's, 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 I'm fascinated by 
this particular pair in a way because of their specific life story and because of what they represent today the fact that they've decided to live their whole lives together to not get married to not have children uh, to in a way you know dedicate themselves to this image that they've created of themselves I find that notion really interesting the fact that they've continued over the years you know this dedication to because I guess for me what's it what I find interesting is really this idea of you know notions such as identity and how it it's manifest itself in the body and how you know those are the kind of key interests for me it's not like it just so happens you know that they are twins and you know that you can find loads of twins dressing up the same and doing the same thing but if if I see a young pair of twins you know children or teenagers or whatever that isn't going to just make me really interested in it it's the fact that they've taken it to another level and the fact that they're this age and they're still doing it yeah exactly that's the thing that makes it unusual yeah and um so which of the sort of uh, the popular myths about twins let's let's go through a couple of them just because you're obviously a bit of an expert on this now having spent time with them they do finish each other's sentences right yeah they do okay and do they kind of have some do they know what the other person's thinking in some respect yeah i mean um yeah, they do. I mean, I did, um, I, I did a short film very recently, and one of the reasons why we made this short film was because I was really keen to share them in sound, and for them to also talk about their own intimate relationship, because I've felt like sometimes I become the spokesperson for their intimate relationship, and I don't really want to be that. I don't want to necessarily have to answer those kinds of questions. Um, but in the film, it becomes really, you know, it becomes so apparent. They do finish each other's sentences. It isn't, it almost, some people might think that it's just like a, a double layer audio, but it's not. It's just the way they naturally talk to mm. each other. And they, they, they do say in the film as well, this idea that they, they don't have to talk to each other all the time. They communicate without talking. That was my other, my other question. Yeah. Mm. The, the silent communication thing. Mm. So that happens too. Okay. I guess it does happen, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Um, and, yeah, and they're like completely two different individuals. Right. They have extremely different character. So that's how you tell them apart, right? By oh, no. I mean, I can tell them apart from my... I mean, they're, they're, they're different to me. Okay. In terms I mean, of the way that they... when you spend a lot of time with identical twins, that kind of initial vision of them being identical falls away. Right. It just disappears. Right. You know, you know that there are differences yeah so this is going to be one of those as you've kind of already suggested ongoing things that you're just going to keep 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 doing right for as long as yeah, you want I to do it so i think for some at some point i was keen to make something of it a book or something book but i think it's also part of this kind of frantic idea that everyone has to make books these days yeah. very quickly and i think that as long as there are interesting things that we want to explore, even if, you know, that we will take big breaks, you know, we take six months off and we won't do anything. I think that it's worthwhile just kind of letting the time do its thing. Yeah. I mean, with something like that, I suppose, yeah, the danger of doing a book is then you've, you know, why, why stop at that particular point mm. kind of thing? If you're still working on it, then it's yeah. not really appropriate. But mm. do you think, do you think there is a bit of a, a, a kind of, um, 
a bit too much enthusiasm for books at the moment. No, I don't think it's too much enthusiasm. I love books. Mm. I think I, think I phrased that badly, but I guess yeah. I was talking about your previous comment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I people think are rushing people into... are now thinking uh, that they have to make a book mm. to to be anything or to be considered anything or to be to get anywhere in. And so often it seems like people might be doing books very very early i mean even in universities now they make books as as you know final projects right and i guess i'm just i'm just kind of the antidote i'm on the other spectrum of that yeah I, I, if i'm gonna make a book you want it's to gonna be considered it's gonna be have to be way more than just a series of pictures that i took over a couple of years it has to be it has to provide something else so right. maybe i'm just very kind of picky on 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 that but um i think i think one should be because you know a book mm. is out there forever kind of thing and you you know you want to get mm. it right mm. so um let's talk about um the other project you're doing river valley vernacular um this is um <laughs> yeah. something it's you're kind of a title in it might it will probably change i like yeah. it oh, you do. Oh, yeah you. but i i i'm a bit like you i've got i've got a kind of fascination for words and, and language mm. as well um and uh yeah it's kind of cool but um and what this isn't doesn't appear on your website was is there is that just an admin thing or is there some kind of deeper reason for that this there is a deeper reason okay and i think there is i mean obviously because of with how the nature of the project with Madi and manette has turned out it was just because of a trust relationship issue, I had to put the pictures out to prove to them that I was serious or that I could get them something, visibility or something. They were, you know, they were quite suspicious in the beginning. So, you know, it got included in the Taylor Wessing and then they got really happy and blah, blah, blah. So the project was out there at a very early stage. And with the Sweden project, the River Valley vernacular project, I started working on it as part of the world press photo do a masterclass thing and you have to you go off and you shoot something on a topic and then mm. you come back and you have to present it so it got published very very early as well and i just thought uh, this is so far from finished right and i don't want it to be out there all over the place yeah. I have to protect it. I'm You're going to keep gonna your powder go. dry. And actually, ever since, you know, I've been there's so much work that I'm not showing right now because it's 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 that feeling of protecting it in a different sense mm. and wanting it to be finished in a you know more complete mm. when I share it. Well, that makes a lot of sense. But um, we should I should um, do what I fail to do on numerous occasions, which is to actually contextualise what we're talking about. Which is um, you've you've gone back home essentially to Sweden and, and there's a small community there um, um, and um, they, they have a, their own um, local dialect which is very specific to that area. They want um, it to be a language. They want it to be a language. Be considered a language, okay. not a dialect. Well, that's an arc. That, yeah, no, and then we're going to have to get into some really kind of <laughs> well, technical stuff about what the difference between a dialect and a It's not a recognized is. as a language. Okay. So but, I was right to say dialect in a way. Oh no, that's Fine. political. Fine. Whatever. Anyway, basically, they speak a different yeah, lingo. Um, so yeah, it, it, you know, you can't really photograph that, <laughs> I, obviously, but it's really just a way to take you in to yeah. explain how you kind yeah. of. Um, and I think I think the theme that you that you had to work to with the 
the um, Magnum project was mm. Trust or something. The World Press. Folk the World thing. Press. What did I say? Yeah, Magnum. Magnum. World Press. Yeah. The World Press thing was it was Trust. Yeah. yeah. Did, was it the usual thing of just trying to shoehorn your project into a theme um, and not really worry too much about it? Come on, be honest. Yeah. Or did, yes. Yeah. Okay. Good. But once you. But I mean, I would say that Trust is part of the work. Absolutely, but, yeah. But obviously, no, I'm yeah. not going to give you a hard time about that. I mean, everybody <laughs> does that, obviously. It's it's not, you know, in any you way. You just think, what unusual. what is it that I want to be doing now? Yeah. This can it be applied? Yeah, exactly, of course exactly, it will, right. You know. But um, beyond that, uh, yeah, you do have an interest in, in in the language side of things, and and also it's it's a, it's about you know kind of going back to shoot at, yeah. at home, as it were. I mean, it's also it's a, yeah, it's a project that is very much also dealing with identity which i think is something and how it's embodied somehow in a place or in a community or in a person so i mean that is something that i just it's just my core interest as it turns out i wouldn't have necessarily known a couple of years ago but it turns out i'm just attracted to those kinds of stories where you know this notion of an individual or a community how they their identity is negotiated and also how it's received within a kind of wider image in the mm. society um and yeah this language is just i, I mean I'm, I'm i didn't grow up in this place but we have a, a summer house a log cabin my grandparents live there they speak this language right so you do I, have a personal connection to oh, this story a, it's very very personal this is my the most personal project i've ever done and it's it's, I'm a, very involved in it right now. Mm. And, um, and yeah, I mean, this language, I mean, the, 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 there's so many, in a way I'm, I'm applying uh, my own fantasy of this place onto this place, onto these people. I'm using the language as a, just a way in. Sure. Um, as a way to start, in a way. I'm meeting these people who, there's this local grant that they give to young speakers if they show that they can speak the language. But it's a completely kind of a local thing. It doesn't have great support. It's not taught in schools in any way. But it's an interesting language because it's the closest you get to Old Norse. Mm. It's closer to Old Norse Viking language yeah, yeah. than Icelandic. And Iceland is an island very isolated, far away from the rest of the world in a sense. But this place is just a little valley in the kind of in the middle of Sweden. So there is this really strange mystery to me how it's managed to kind of survive and prevail. And I think I took that mysterious notion. Also, it's the birthplace of the Swedish witch hunts in the 1500s. So I took those notions and I've been playing with it. Them, I've been allowing myself as well to be much more personal in my way of... of, uh, depicting a place or photographing other people i think up until this point i've been very it's been very important for me that the people are portrayed in the sense that it's just for them but in this project i'm i guess because i have a real personal connection to the place and to the language i'm learning it at the moment which is are you terribly hard but yeah so i've i guess i've just released this slightly different way of approaching a project and mm. working and it's um, exciting yeah and so if, uh, your parent uh, your grandparents still alive yeah they are and and they didn't teach your father no the language so have you do you spoken to them about this 
Oh yeah, great length. And you know, in a way, it, it was something that was very common at the time. The language wasn't considered something to keep in a way. It was, you know, yeah. it's just the, the the kind of political rhetorics in a way. It's just, you know, you were supposed to speak Swedish to your children and to your dog. You know, it was like the authoritative mm. language to use. And so many people did. And my grandparents only really kept language speaking it, you know, amongst themselves. So I've always heard it. Right. But they've never addressed me, you know. So mm. and that is quite common and that's why they're trying to change things around today. Yeah. Yeah. No, because I was thinking, you know, does it matter if a language dies? Is that, you know, does it should we care? And then when you're talking about the fact that it's the closest thing to Old Norse, I was thinking, mm. yeah, well of course it's got a massive kind of historical uh significance. It should it shouldn't be allowed to just yeah. Uh, die, but I'm just just what just occurred to me. I mean, language moment. for me is is one aspect to the work now. It's been my way in, but it's not. I mean, I'm not trying in any way to no, absolutely pin down in images. Sure, it's, it's almost just the, an excuse to explore that place. Yeah, in a way, it's almost the opposite. In a way, I, I'm I'm enjoying this idea that it is a mystery and that we don't know how it's managed to prevail. We don't understand it. I don't understand it hardly. And so the people I'm photographing, there's this kind of silent tension that I like to keep, mm. almost the way for them to prevent the secret from coming out. You know, there's this kind of we're holding on to the secret. And I, I enjoy that kind of feeling of playing with how you present. Because in a way, you, you know, I'm always going to talk about the language when I talk about the project. So yeah. I become a spokesperson for this little place where they have a, a small language, but the language isn't in any way going to be revealed. Sure. Um, and what do and the young people that you're dealing with think about it? Do they care or do some of them care and some of them not give some a damn? Some care, some don't care. Yeah. I think a lot of the people who actively speak it are, I think, through having, go, going, having gone through the process of doing this test or getting this grant, it might start off as just a way of, you know, I want some money, I want to you know, pimp my motorcycle yeah. or my moped. It's like a few hundred quid, isn't it? Basically five yeah. or 600 quid. It's quite a lot so for if, someone who's... If you're who's, 17 or yeah. something, yeah. But I think in the process of going through it, they realise that it it is something quite unique. Mm. And um, I think in this place as well, people are quite, they're quite home. They, there is this kind of sense of, of, of uh, treasure to this home and to the history of and to the kind of heritage that they've got so they do appreciate it not everyone obviously but mm. for me in a sense i'm i am dealing with a lot of these thoughts as well this notion of home and belonging and you know heredity and all of these things that in a way that i've lost or that my life has just taken me you know mm. out and you know going far away from home not necessarily knowing if i have a home mm. and so being part of doing this work is also reconnecting me to the place so yeah in that sense it's a personal kind of venture and and in a way speaking of books in a way this one would make a good book seems to me it what, will what, yeah it is will. that your plan yeah okay well good well i will look forward to seeing because it, it mm. looks great and uh, yeah i can understand why you haven't kind of put it up there but mm. there i think you can you can find it out there on on the internet um don't go look for it yeah just just, just wait yeah, don't don't do <laughs> it just wait it'd be worth it um 
So yeah, what else are you working on? Well, I'm working on another project that I've been working on for quite a few years, but um, um, it's also dealing with uh, kind of medical policies and identity. Right. Um, following also maybe this idea of creating a relationship as you go about making work. So it's me um, having worked with this um, other woman for two years. We're doing work related to genetics. Okay. Um, and that's all I'll say on that. Right. That's so vague as to be kind of well, <laughs> sort of almost useless to us. But you know, I, but that in that respect, why not? Because you know, it's a little, it's a little sort of bit of mystery that we can yeah. look forward to seeing the, the results of. Um, what What about um, earning a living? Um, you you do you do a bit of editorial. What, how mm. do you sort of um, how do you hustle for work? Well, I think um, lately I've been quite lucky. I've been lucky getting a bit of money here and there, grants. Yeah. Do do you um, yeah do you see that as a as a as a sort of important um, oh, yeah. way of of continuing? Because a lot of people, I think, increasingly seem to rely on that as a as a, as a kind of way to you know yeah. fund projects. Well, I think I've been I've been feeling like at least half of my time. Has ha, you know it has to be spent on my own projects, which is quite a, a a big thing in a way. So I have to find that kind of money that way, and then I'll do jobs as they come in. But trying it's hard because I don't. It's really horrible to say it, but you don't want to become too busy because you want to be able to do your own thing. So it's this weird kind of balance that I'm trying to you know keep up mm. with getting trying to apply for grants trying to get money trying to get that kind of possibilities of of being away and doing my own work and at the same time not seeming like i'm all of all of the time not around Mm. or you know needing to be available at the same time so i don't know i mean it's just a fine line but i I enjoyed doing i really enjoy doing uh jobs it's 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 a completely different way of working you have to it's like problem solving i enjoy that um it's creative as well and you can decide what you want to do with it and just go with it so that's nice um but yeah i mean i've just been in sweden for five weeks working and during that time you're kind of just forgetting about the rest of the world and you just it's a very kind of important moment in time but then i you have to go back and Mm. come back and reconnect with the other parts of things and yeah, it's tricky, but it, I mean, let's just hope it, it keeps working. Yeah, I hope so too. Mm. Thanks for talking to me, Maya. Thank nice you. to meet you. Nice to meet yeah, you. Yeah, good luck with it all, and we'll look forward to seeing um, the fruits of your labour in, in whenever it happens. It will, it will happen. I know. It will happen. <laughs> <laughs>